0: I'm Sebastian Mahfud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on air wing of Enroute Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. What is your profession? Saddle up. Lock and lock. and when get feeling is
1: Ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome. you're listening to Fire Away with Carlos Bursabe brought to you by Catholic Ammo, Enroute books and media and Wcat radio where we're locked loaded and ready for battle with today's hot topics. Howdy, howdy, everybody. This is your host, Carlos Persabe. You're listening to episode 24 of Fire Away. Last week, we had a campfire session with a good friend, Jeremy Hollis, from Stag and Cross Outdoors. Today's hot topic concerns the crisis of due process, or lack thereof, afforded to priests like Father Gordon McCrae, which has been exacerbated by the current sex abuse scandals affecting the Catholic Church. And to help me grapple with today's topic, we welcome for the first time Father Stuart MacDonald from St. Catharines in Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Father.
0: Hello. Yes. Glad to be here.
1: Well, we're glad that you're with us. We're so excited to hear, uh, hear from you as you hear from all the cheers in the background. Yeah. Very excited to talk about this hot-button issue Uh, But before we go any further, uh, if you would please lead us in an opening prayer.
0: Sure, yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your spirit down upon us as we grapple with these important issues in the church. Give us clarity of mind and wisdom that we might understand more clearly your will for us and how we might evangelize the world despite the difficulties that we undergo. And we ask this, of course, through Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father, for coming on the show. Um, So, Father, tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I'm a diocesan priest here in the Diocese of St. Catharines in Ontario, which is a a small diocese just across from the American border in Buffalo and Niagara Falls, New York. And uh, I'm a priest here in a small parish. I'm a canon lawyer by training, uh, studied in Rome, received my licentiate in canon law there, and uh, have really just been working as a, as a parish priest and have uh, done some work with priests who um, have been accused of sexual abuse of minors. And so it's a, it's a topic that uh, I'm interested in and, and have some experience with. Uh, you mentioned Father Gordon McCrae He's, uh, I guess, an, an online friend of mine, and uh, have been in communication with him, and and he has uh, really kind of spurred me on to to take a real interest in in what's happening and and the need to to make this this issue more widely known. I guess.
1: Right, right. That was a very interesting email that I got from the uh, owner operator of. WCAT Radio, Dr. Mahfoud, when he sent me this, and then you sent me the link. Uh, reading through it, it's a very, very uh, rich and heavy topic that doesn't quite get the attention other than just the assumed guilty before proven innocent, um, which is where we seem to be.
0: Right. It's... Um so as I said, I mean, I am kind of communicate with Father he who runs a, a blog called These Stone Walls um, it, that's read worldwide and has quite a lot of uh, a press, I guess. And um, so he asked me to write a, a guest post for him. And so that's what you're referring to when, when Dr. Maffoud, uh read the post and, and contacted me. Um, but I, I wrote it simply because it's, it's an important issue that, um, you know, in the wake of, of very serious things that have happened in the church and no one wants to deny um, that very serious uh, crimes have been committed in the church, uh, but at the same time that there are a number of priests who have been accused of crimes, and for whom no real um, investigation has taken place. And as, as you mentioned, kind of the, the prevailing attitude is um, that once accused a priest is just guilty until he can prove his innocence, which, of course, is often impossible. How do you imp- uh, prove that something didn't happen? Um, so it's it's an issue, I think, that needs to be aired. People need to discuss um, calmly and, and rationally, even though it is a very charged issue in the Church, as as we know. Uh, but it's, I, I think it's important that we, that we think about the issues that, that are involved um, and, and try to deal with them appropriately in, in the Church, because a lot of priests are suffering, and it's, it's affecting, I think, even the wider presbyterate, because... Um, there's a sense of 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 fear even I think of um that priests are just afraid that they're going to be accused of something and uh their lives will be ruined because of course bishops um rightly are wanting to treat this issue very seriously and and deal with it promptly and um and publicly transparently i guess is the word we should use um but they're 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 afraid that that their rights Um, as priests and and even sometimes as as citizens of a country are are being trampled upon um, by this kind of emotional reaction that that people are having to the sex abuse crisis. So uh, I I think it's it's an important issue that needs to be talked about more, and that was my purpose in in writing the post um, on Father McRae's blog, trying to give a a, a canon law, a legal um, analysis of, of some of the problems that are that are present in the current climate.
1: I see, I see. Now, for someone like me, I I don't remember too much about Father McRae's, uh, uh, I guess, his situation. Can you give us a little bit of a background for uh, not only for why Father McRae asked you to write it, but a little bit of background behind the article itself?
0: Sure. Yeah, um, f- presently, Father uh, Gordon McRae, he's a, a diocesan priest of the Manchester Dio- Diocese in New Hampshire, and he was accused back in the early 90s of abusing uh, a minor. He was uh, convicted uh, and has been in prison since uh, 1994. Uh, and the, the, the startling thing, of course, is that the evidence uh, for his case... Um, is is really practically uh, non-existent, and he really was a victim of, again, this emotional reaction that um, as soon as someone is accused, um, well, it must be be true, Um, and so he was oddly offered uh, a, a plea deal that if he would plead guilty to one count that he uh, would be released, I forget, it was like six months or maybe a year. And he refused uh, to take a plea deal because he maintains his absolute um, innocence. And as a result of his refusal, he was uh, sentenced to 67 years uh, in prison, which he is currently serving that sentence. And it's from there inside the prison walls, these stone walls, as the blog is called, that he writes a uh, a blog every week um, that is really quite um, profound often. Uh, it shows that, that God's grace is certainly working through this man who has been so unjustly treated by the, the civil system, uh, but also even in many ways he has been abandoned by um, the diocese. And um, so his his is kind of uh, just one of the the many cases, I suppose, of of people who have been caught in the web of of the sex abuse crisis. And and as I said before, no one wants to deny uh, that very serious crimes have taken place, but we also have to realize that not everyone who is accused um, is in fact guilty. Uh, and that I think is is kind of the nub of the problem is of course, as we've been saying all along so far that you know a priest is is guilty until proven innocent and um, so that that was the purpose of of writing the the post to give a little exposure um, to to Father McRae and and kind of the canonical um, problems that that are that often face priests who who are accused.
1: Oh, I see. So the title of the of the article is last rites, canon law in a mirror of justice cracked. Now, when we say, when we're talking about that title and we're adding on the lack of due process, what do you mean by this?
0: Well, that um, oddly enough was a title that Father McRae came up with. He's he can be quite uh, clever, um, referring to last rites, of course, as as uh, the last rites, the sacramental rites of the church. Uh, but he is pointing out the last rights, as in you know, civil right or, or church right, um, in in the mirror of of justice that the church is supposed to be, and that it's cracked, and that uh, he was referring that really the the rights of priests to. To their good name, to to due process when there has been an accusation, that we're kind of on our last leg. Um, that that the mirror of justice that the church is supposed to be, and in Father McRae's opinion, that it 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 it's cracked. It has been um, harmed uh, because so many of the rights of priests are really not being um, respected properly in in many cases and uh so i think that that was the the point of the title and and the article just to show that the i kind of outlined the history of of how priests rights have have kind of slowly but surely uh eroded over time um until until we're in kind of the present situation where we are um and uh you know with specific laws, church laws that apply for the United States that that don't apply right now in other countries, but kind of the the influence and the practice is, is carried on, even if not even if they're not formally law in other countries like Canada or European countries. Um, so I'm re- referring you know, re- to what um, you call in, in the States the essential norms and, and the charter for the protection of, of young people and minors in the church. Those are specific church laws that were enacted by the American bishops um, to deal with these cases, but they apply technically, legally only, Um, in the United States, but they're so well-known and and so influential that often the content of those laws is carried out um, in other countries as well.
1: I see. So when we talk about due process, both in civil and canon law, what is being skipped? Like what's the normal uh, or a typical, uh, how does it look typically from accusation to incarceration? Um,
0: well, I mean, it, again, that we have to always distinguish that there are um, the two systems. Often if, if an accusation is made against a priest, it will bring um, civil criminal charges, uh, and he will have to, to deal with a regular court system as any other um, accused person would. Um, and But they're also, because it's a priest, he's also subject to uh, canon law or church law, and there are criminal proceedings in church law um, for people who have committed uh, what the church considers uh, crimes, or what she technically calls in canon law, delicts. Um, so when a priest is, is accused, the, the difficulty um, in, the, in the church law is, is precisely that this attitude is, prevails that um, a priest is, is, is considered guilty. Um, no one, of course, comes out and says that, but but that's the effect of the process that's carried out. He's often called in to see his bishop um, and is placed on, on what they call administrative leave, uh, has all of his faculties to say mass or hear confessions um, removed uh, until the end of the process, and uh, right now in the Church these cases have to be reported um, to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome, uh, who has a whole set of procedures to to deal with the cases, and those laws are followed. But the problem is, of course, that um, the process takes a long time, and uh, once the accusation is made, and it, it's often made public immediately, um, and the priest is kind of you know take it taken out of ministry never to be seen again for for a long time and that just of course in this current climate leads people to speculate oh well he must be guilty and um and and so the priest is just kind of left on his on his own defenses um where he would have to even you know hire a canon lawyer uh and pay for that out of his own funds often although sometimes dioceses will will pay for that but um it it it's a traumatic it's a traumatic process, as, as of course it uh, shouldn't be treated lightly. Any accusation should be should be treated seriously. Um, but there are a number of protections, um, I suppose, that are often uh, glossed over uh, in the ecclesiastical or, or church process. Um, you know about removing the priest from from ministry, and and sometimes if the accusation is very old and there's not a lot of proof. Um, the removal of, of faculties just kind of remains in limbo, and the priest is never heard from again. A process is not always um, carried out, and I mean, there's all sorts of anecdotal stories that um, that you know can be retold. But the problem is, is that the priest is often just left um, on his own, and and of course he owes obedience to his bishop, um, and the bishop wants to be seen uh, rightly to be dealing with the problem seriously. Um, and sometimes there is abuse of, of power abuse of authority rather um, that takes place and uh so it it's just it can be a very harrowing experience, especially if the priest is is not guilty um is innocent of of the accusation but it's often impossible to to prove that in any sort of um Forum simply because accusi- accusations are often very old and, and there simply is, is no proof anymore, one, one way or the other, of, of guilt or, or innocence. And so it, it's, it, it's a very difficult topic, of course, that, that needs to be dealt with um, properly and seriously, but it, it's not kind of as easy as maybe the public mentality uh, thinks it is or um, that the world out there um, wants it to be.
1: So, Father, one of the things that I also read in the article was a term that you use, pro bono ecclesiae. Can you expound on that a little bit?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's uh, a, a term that's that's used um, right now in dealing with um, removing priests. Well, the world, of course, terms it a priest gets defrocked, which is which is an absolutely incorrect. Term and we we need to understand that that a priest once he's ordained sacramentally always remains a priest uh, but when he is uh, punished by the church for a crime he is he could be and often is um, returned to the lay state he's he's no longer a cleric so he remains a priest sacramentally but he's not able to. Carry out any of his priestly functions because he returns to being um, a layman in the church and uh, in in kind of the the hype of everything that 's gone on with um, you know all of the accusations that became public and and so many of them were historical where it was difficult to carry out a proper trial, um, it was often just decided that priests would be removed uh, from ministry. And or even from the clerical state, pro bono ecclesiae, for the good of the church. That somehow the idea being that um, these men have to sacrifice their priesthood in essence um, for the for the greater good of the church. That to leave um, these priests in ministry uh, could bring harm to the church because it would make the church seem less credible in the world uh, to the public that's looking for the church to to deal with this. You know scandal that has that has broken out, um, but of course the idea is that uh, the point I tried to make um, in my article that I wrote was was that the churches really only served when when truth and justice are sought. That if we're just trying to seek credibility uh, with the world, uh, we're going to bring harm to ourselves, and we're bringing harm to the priesthood by. Um, kind of getting getting rid of priests, to put it kind of crudely um, for the for the good of the church it it 's not for the good of the church uh, in that sense, certainly, if a priest is guilty, um, he needs to be punished, whether that 's civilly or or ecclesiastically, um, but to just kind of say, Oh well, all these priests were ac- accused and And in order to clean up shop and make us good with the world, we're just going to remove them all from ministry. Um, That's not really for the greater good of the church. Uh, And I I think we're seeing some of the effects of that. Um, Certainly back in in the early 2000s when the scandal broke, people rightly wanted to see priests held accountable uh, for the crimes that, that they did commit. Uh, but now we're seeing, of course, in, in more recent days, um, even, that that's, that's not enough for kind of the public hunger that's out there, that now we want to see bishops uh, held accountable. Um, and so we we see in the news the headlines now of, of bishops being um, tried in civil courts and criminal courts, uh, because they didn't report abuse to the uh, to the police or um, any other any other number of things, and and so kind of the I don't think we can deny that there um, is kind of a hunger to um, I don't want to say put down the church, but but there's there's a there's an angle out there to try to discredit the church in our culture that that clearly is is becoming less and less Christian. And so that I think my, my point is that we have to be very careful that kind of giving in to the public pressure without seeking truth and justice um, is not truly for the good of the church.
1: Right. So it seems like we're caught between two extremes, whereas before things were not being reported uh, or things were not being brought to satisfactory conclusion whenever... Sexual abuse did occur, and now what we 're seeing is it doesn 't matter if you 're guilty or innocent we 're going to presume that you 're guilty so that we don 't land ourselves it 's like a knee jerk reaction but in the opposite direction
0: exactly its it 's like the pendulum swing and and that's um, that 's part of the problem it, it is true that when abuse was reported in the past, even you know thirty forty fifty years ago um it was often well, we we use the term it was covered up, but I don't I don't think that's a fair accusation to make against the church. It it may not have been handled properly um, because there were legal procedures that could be carried out when a priest was accused. Um, it's you know the church has had laws about sexual abuse of children since the fourth century. Um, human nature is what it is. Um, there's going to be sin in the church and and even in the priesthood, even very grievous sin. Uh, the problem was, of course, that there there was an age where, especially after the Second Vatican Council, where canon law was kind of seen as old fashioned and legalistic, and um, people didn 't want to to make use of it, and so we had the the phenomenon of you know priests going for treatment, psychological treatment, and then uh, bishops being told by the psychologist, well, he needs to a new start in a fresh parish, and that will help him. And so kind of to, to defend bishops, really, against the, the charge of cover-up, they were, in many, ta- in many ways, just following the advice of the medical profession at the time, uh, that was telling um, bishops that, you know, the problems of abuse could be cured, and it just needed a, a fresh start. Um, course, we know that's not true anymore, um, or it's certainly not the, the opinion of the medical profession now, it seems, and now that these historical accusations have, have now be- become public, uh, people are upset. Uh, one, I guess, beca- obviously, because there are true cases of abuse that, that have occurred, um, and we, we think that they weren't dealt with properly. And in some senses, they weren't. They, If a priest committed a serious sin like that and a crime in the church, uh, perhaps he ought to have been dismissed uh, from the clerical state, removed from ministry back then. Uh, but those procedures weren't followed. And so bishops now, of course, um, are dealing with the publication of cases that, that they didn't handle because they weren't the bishop of the diocese at the time and so they're being held accountable for the practices of their predecessors and they want to um, appear stringent in dealing with this problem and transparent so they um, you know quickly publicize the accusations and um, even publish lists of priests who have been accused in the history of the diocese uh, and we have to note that it's, it's a list of priests who have been accused that um, there's been not necessarily a process to determine if the accusation was true, but yet these, these priests, some of whom are even deceased, their names are now made public that they received an accusation. Um, and so it, it creates just this atmosphere that, oh, there's the church was covering up, and there's this, this huge problem of, of abuse, and the priests are guilty, and, and then, of course, it becomes, well, all priests are held in suspicion uh, by the public, uh, who, who can trust us now? Because you know the church was kind of so bad in the past in, in dealing with this, and so there's there's great harm that has has come to the church because um, she has not dealt with this problem properly. And I think that's kind of the the plea I'm making is that you know if 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 we follow the law and the procedures of the church, um, it's not a perfect system. Not even the civil criminal system is is perfect, but it's what we have. Um, And I think if if we follow that, then we stand right before God, uh, and we can also claim transparency in in front of society to not try to pretend that sins are never going to happen again, uh, but that, yes, they will be dealt with, and they will be dealt with appropriately. Um, But I fear that what's happening instead is that it's more of, as you say, kind of the knee-jerk emotional reaction um, that is is harming priests and the priesthood. Um, It would certainly give pause i think to a young man considering whether to become a priest knowing that you know he'd have very little to stand on if if an accusation ever ever came his way and um and given the suspicion with which priests are held in these days you know and anyone with by by a, by a glance or a word an innocent word or an innocent glance can suddenly be be accused and and the full force of the of the emotional law, the the emotional reaction comes down upon him. So it's um, it's kind of a grave situation, I think, that that we need to to talk about openly but also calmly um, and without thinking that because we're trying to discuss the rights of priests who have been accused we're not at the same time trying to deny that serious crimes have been committed. No one wants to deny that, and no one wants to say that, that guilty priests shouldn't be punished and that's Those are some of the distinctions I think that often get lost in in the discussion today
1: right I think there's a lot of that that happens in society on a lot of these fault lines, like you know whether it's the hashtag me too movement or you know any sniff of racism at least here in the United States where an accusation is thrown out in the especially in the media and the immediate reaction by the public is to assume that oh yes this person must have done it um, or oh yes this the, that heinous crime was committed without it first going through the court system they're already convicted i think uh... the catchphrase is convicted by the court of public opinion rather than the right. actual yeah. courts themselves so how big is the disparity between what is happening now in terms of due process versus what you said, if we just follow the system as it is, then we would be better served? How big is that gap?
0: Well, um, it, it's all anecdotal, of course, because, um, I mean, I think the system is in place, Um now, for example, in, in the United States, as I mentioned before, you have what, what are known as the essential norms, the kind of the famous zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy, um, so that if a priest um, is found guilty, he is permanently removed um, from ministry. Now, that, um, that's a recent kind of legal theory, I guess, if you want to call it that, that um, you know in, in, in the universal law of the church, a priest who is um, guilty of of sexual abuse of a minor uh, for of, of one of the crimes that's listed in in the code of canon law um, it doesn't call for his dismissal. Um, from the clerical state, or or for him to stop being a priest, he's to be punished, uh, and according to the severity of the offense. So that if he abused, you know, many children, then yes, that could call for his um, dismissal. But it's not there's not a zero tolerance um, policy in in the universal law of the church. So that's that's kind of one development uh, that has taken place, at least for the United States. Um, but it, as I said, it, that Influences is spreading and so that priests now um, who are accused in other countries it it, it is kind of a zero tolerance um, attitude even though that's not officially in the law of the church um, and then of course it's um, the, the universal law of the church uh, calls for when a priest is accused of something serious like this that there is a very specific uh, basically trial that is supposed to take place of a certain type um, but because there are you know, so many accusations, so many cases, and in reality so few canon lawyers, uh, church lawyers who can handle these cases, it, it becomes almost impossible to carry out the procedure of the church so that um, Pope Benedict XVI had to make an exception to the law or have made a new law allowing for um, short, a shorter abbreviated trial um, to take place. So there I mean there's a wisdom in that, but as soon as you abbreviate a trial, um, it makes it more difficult for a priest to defend himself or or to have you know the full benefit um, of a full trial and so there there are kind of these different um, anomalies, i guess if we want to call them that 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 are in place now, simply in reaction um, to the crisis and the and the number of cases. Uh, that are there, um, and I think the, the other problem is is a lot of times priests are just afraid to defend themselves. Um, I mentioned in my article it 's often very difficult to find a canon lawyer who will defend a priest uh, because there is this stigma about well, if father 's accused, he must be guilty. Why are you trying to get him off? Um, why are you trying to defend him, or you know a priest is accused, and he looks to a canon lawyer in his own diocese, and the priest will say oh well no i 'm afraid i don 't want to go against my bishop in defending you and there there 's a whole stigma um present about trying to defend a, an accused priest and so all of the the combination of all of these things um, I think point to um, as as you say this this discrepancy. Um, or gap that's there of 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 what the law is and how it's actually carried out, so I mean yes, the process is there um, but it's uh it's difficult to carry out that. We have to admit that that it, it's it's difficult for the the personnel and the training uh, and the expertise to to carry it out, and and the church has a long way to kind of catch up. In that, we need to train more people as canon lawyers and to train them in the in the criminal law of the church. Most canon lawyers um, are well versed in marriage law and annulments. Uh, but we 've just kind of ignored criminal law in the church for far too long and and now we 've been caught up with it because the problem has hit and and we 're not ready to deal with it
1: yeah that 's a very interesting take on it father. I appreciate that the The other thing that that kind of made me think uh, while you were talking was taking a couple of steps back, what are the things uh, the church what are some things the church is doing? to prevent uh, one prevent the problem uh, in the first place and two in terms of strategic messaging i i can't for the world of me believe that this um that this, the sex abuse scandal is so widespread so endemic among the priesthood that it should color the whole priesthood so two facets of questions i guess one is what could, can we do as a church to prevent uh, sexual abuse from happening? And then two, how is the church handling the uh, the protection of its priests from having the, this scandal color the entire priesthood?
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's the million-dollar set of questions, isn't it? I mean, I think we have to... Um, look, and I I don't have the statistics here at my fingertips, but um, we have to remember that, in fact, um, quite a small percentage of priests um, have been, uh, let's say, have been accused, and probably even fewer, a a smaller percentage, have actually committed the abuse. But any abuse, of course, is terrible. No one, you know, people kind of throw up their arms when when you want to make that point. No one is trying to say that abuse is not terrible. Um, But it is not endemic to the priesthood. The vast, vast majority of priests are not guilty of this. Um, And that's what we have to remember. We also have to remember that this problem is present in society as a whole, uh, mainly among families. A lot of sexual abuse of children happens um, by family members so it, it, this is not an isolated problem of the priesthood it 's part of the culture that we live in. Um, we live of course in in a culture that 's driven by sexuality uh, and that 's uh, I, I suppose that 's the problem You say how do we prevent this problem from happening well you can 't it 's not going to happen by legislation or uh, by programs we can We can have all the pre, the, the pre seminars and programs and um, you know, good practices we want, but in the end it comes down to an individual's morality, um, that we have to be living the gospel. We have to live um, no right from wrong and have to know sin and try to avoid sin. Um, but the problem is, of course, our priests are chosen from the culture in which they're raised and the culture in which um, we are living is, is not conducive to living a gospel-driven life. And it it shouldn't surprise us then um, that that sins appear. Um, so the real answer to that is is that you know we have to be serious about our formation uh, as priests. We have to be serious about the way we live our lives as priests. What we preach to the people. We can't be afraid of of preaching the morality of the church and and insisting that it be that it be lived. Um, it also means, I think, that we have to carry out the law of the church um, so that when there are even small um, kind of aberrations, that they're dealt with. Um, and that, you know, a, a, a law-abiding society um, knows what's right and wrong and, and they live accordingly. Um, but to, when we sometimes when we hear uh, bishops or people in the church say, we have to ensure that this problem never happens again, that 's just naive, I mean that that is never going to happen until kingdom comes. Um, sin is going to be present in the church and and we ought not to be scandalized by that. We should be scandalized if it becomes widespread become scandalized if um, we try to pretend that it 's not sin, but the fact that it happens sporadically. Um, is not a sign of illness in the church. And I think um, there's a lot of people that kind of hide behind programs and slogans and um, things like that when it just comes down to um, basically living a God-fearing life uh, and living the moral teachings of the church and, and explaining to people what the moral teachings of the church are and that they can be lived by God's grace. Um, but that sin is present and that's why uh, the sacrament of confession is there, um, and I think we need to um, even p- perhaps delve into to that other little issue, too. I mean, what, what do we do with a priest who is even guilty of sexual abuse, uh, but who has truly repented? Um, right now, there doesn't seem to be any place for him in the church whatsoever, there are priests who are told um, that they're not allowed to be on church property, or, or ex priests, or whatever whatever you want to call them, in kind of common language. But um, they can't even go to mass, it seems, because they're they're the one class of people for whom forgiveness is not available, um, and that's not the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. Um, so I think, you know, I, th- I think if we can kind of look at this a little more calmly um, and, and at the wide angle of it, um, I think that we will be able to deal with the problem more effectively uh, rather than just trying to pretend that this was just a, a one-time aberration and it's never going to happen again because we have all these programs and policies in place. I think that's just naive.
1: Hmm. So one of the th- I guess one of the reasons why I asked that question also there's a lot of uh, chatter I guess in the in the media especially from uh, Catholic writers who want to point to a uh prevalence or at least a tolerance of uh, homosexuality among the clergy and that could be one of the places where we can uh, big in correction, that somehow after the Second Vatican Council or even previous, that uh, this sort of um, behavior was tolerated within the clergy and uh, spawned itself into uh, a pedophilia um, because I guess the studies point to a large percentage of the sexual abuse victims being uh, male, vi- uh, underage male victims. So, what would you? How would you respond to um, people who say, uh, who point to that as being a source of the problem? Um,
0: yeah, and again, I think here we're um, in another one of those sensitive um, topics that we want to pretend is is not there. Um, and you you use the word yourself that it that it's turned into kind of a, a pedophilia. Um, problem. Uh, that's actually incorrect. If we look at the statistics uh, that the John Jay Institute gave out, of the, at least in the United States, of the cases um, of abuse, it's not true pedophilia. Again, that's one of those words that's used loosely in our culture. Pedophilia um, refers to um, sexual attraction to prepubescent children. Um, so, you know, people under 10 or 11 or 12 even. Um, whereas the vast majority of cases, it seems, is actually what is properly termed uh, uh which is sexual attraction to adolescence. Um, and that's, that's not pedophilia. That's, that is more a problem of, um, in the specific case of homosexuality, uh, because the, the victims uh, tended to be male. Um, but of course, the media, the press, the world does not want to classify this as a problem of homosexuality, because of course, homosexuality is considered something perfectly normal and acceptable. And so they want to portray it as a problem. They want to use the term pedophilia, when in fact, it's not. It is the problem of homosexuality. Um... And the church uh, you know how do we know where where do we go with that with that argument that, that that the priesthood is filled with with homosexuals i mean how how would we ever know that it it 's possible, um, certainly, we know there were cases of of seminaries where it's where it was kind of openly tolerated, if not even encouraged somehow um, that of course abuse needs needs to stop, um, but sometimes the church is even reticent. Um, because of the public pressure uh, to speak about the, the sexual morality of of marriage and, and Christ's teaching on sexuality. Um, so it, it is something that needs to be uh, addressed, certainly, um, but it, it's difficult because, of course, the world is against us on that one. And, if, and this is why I say if the Church is only interested in, in appearing credible to the world, then of course she's not going to address openly and publicly the issue of homosexuality because it's too much of a hot button topic. Um, and yet the problem can't really be addressed properly unless we're willing to go into that area. And that's that's often what she's, she's reticent to do. And again, because of, of the public pressure. And so we're, we're basically coming back as as I was trying to say, how do we cure this problem as if it is curable? As, it it's It's the battle uh, between good and evil uh between satan and god we're We're living in a world that that in many ways is is opposed to the gospel message um, and we can't be afraid of that we can't cower um, and try to seek credibility um, in hiding part of who we are uh, and what we stand for mm-hmm. and, until we're willing to stand up um, and preach the gospel um, and be ridiculed for it, or or um, outlawed for it, or or whatever it is that's going to happen. Um, we're not really going to be truly working for the good of the church,
1: right, Father? I think one of the ways that the church is well, not the church as a, as a whole, at least not in a, its official capacity, has approached a lot of these topics. They use the word or misuse the word as pastoral uh, w- when it essentially becomes. The, the Church of Nice, uh, when yes. in fact it's yeah. not nice to allow somebody to live in sin rather than correct them, uh, it's not nice. Um, which leads me to uh, my next, uh, the other question that I asked, which is, what are, what is the messaging that is coming from the Catholic Church, or at least uh, you know your own diocese or whichever. When it comes to when it comes to this, because it seems like we have to make sure that we preserve the trust with um, with the church as a whole, rather than allow ourselves to be uh, viewed in a certain way. Like we have to say something back or or do we? Well, yeah, I mean I, I think we do.
0: So I I I think it's good that we um that in one sense that the sin has been exposed. Whether it's it's the the sin of sexual abuse it, or it's the sin, if you want to call it that of of how we dealt with it in the past in in what I want to call a you know a a non-legal manner that maybe we should have handled in a purely legal or or at least in addition a legal manner. Um so that now that the sin is exposed, it's good that we institute some policies. Um, priests need to know, you know, you, you never should be, um, alone with a minor, unaccompanied. You, you shouldn't, you know, you don't have minors in your, in the rectory. That, that's just asking, um, for trouble. So those, I, those policies are good, um, and they need to be in place and they need to be enforced. But the policies alone, um, are, not, are not the answer to the problem. And, um, and so we need, of course, to, to speak out against abuse, but I think we need to be less afraid of speaking out as, as a general problem in society, that this is not just the church's problem. This, this is simply the fruit of the sexual licentiousness that is so rampant in our culture. Um, and I think if, if we were to, to address that publicly and in our homilies, I mean, when was the last time you heard a preach, uh, a priest preach about um, homosexuality or, or sex before marriage or, or any of those kind of hot button topics that, that the world just considers as normal. No,
1: that, um, that doesn't typically happen yeah, anymore.
0: Yeah, it just, it doesn't. And and that's part of the problem. People don't hear it. And so they begin to think, oh, well, I guess it's not so important anymore. You know, we, we've kind of even, you know, working in a parish and preparing couples for marriage, we just kind of assume, oh, well, they're going to be living together. And how many priests ever address that with the couple that comes to present themselves for marriage? Sure, it, it may be present. It may be there but we can't be afraid to address it even if it's not if, even if it's going to be met with deaf ears we still have to plant the seed we still have to preach the truth because as soon as we give into it um then we're giving into the message of of sexual license and that that really i think is is the root of the problem of the crisis um is is that the church was not addressing uh, the sexual the, the the sexual revolution, I guess, if that's the term that's used, that, that was taking place back in the '60s and early '70s when when the vast amount apparently of the abuse was taking place, and we're now we're now bearing the fruit of that, is is the problem, and we've got a lot of work to do to to catch up, and we can't be afraid of that work.
1: Yeah, I think one of the thing it's it's a very very tight rope that we're walking on when when we talk about these topics because on the one hand we want to be able to just like you were saying if the if this person is truly repented or if this person is uh, you know combating the sin uh, or the temptations that plague them then that's good they're combating it uh, but at the same time balancing that against the risk that that poses because in the case of Clergy like yourself, you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of authority, and therefore potentially a lot of cascading effects from a sure from something that could happen. It's it's very um, it's a very double-edged sword. It seems like it
0: is but of course that's i mean that's life in general isn't it when and to to kind of harken back to the the famous phrase of pope francis that everyone latches onto um who am i to judge i mean of course the media and the world wants to see that as francis's endorsement of of active homosexuality and and it wasn't at all no, i mean he no, was no. asked specifically i mean he was asked specifically about a priest who was known to have committed homosexual sins in his past um, and francis was saying but if he's turned to christ if he's converted and is working the path of re- repentance and acquiring virtue who am I to judge? And that's true. Uh, at the same time, of course, someone who is guilty and is repentant um, doesn't mean that they just go back to things as normal. We don't. We don't allow the repentant um, bank thief to go work as a bank teller. Right. Uh, so fine. Yes, you. You know, you're repentant and you've you've paid your debt to society or whatever. However, we want to say it. Uh, But we still have to take precautions. So obviously, a priest who is guilty and is repentant, um, does it mean he he can't say Mass anywhere? Does it mean that um, he can't uh, go and anoint someone? I mean, maybe there are cases of that, sure. But I think the blanket solutions that, you know, suddenly he's just, he's an outcast. And that is what has happened to many, many priests. They are simply Sometimes literally cast out into the street without any financial support or moral support um, to fend for themselves um, and and so we see good organizations um, like opus Bono sacerdozzi in the, in the United States that that its mission is to go out and help these priests um, that are that are in trouble um, so we we need to look at that uh, as as part of the problem um, that that repentance uh... is possible uh... but it doesn't mean pretending that nothing happened or that everything is normal by by no means but it, it doesn't mean that these people are just um, cast away from god and and god's love They're they're loved by god as much as anyone else despite their sins
1: right and and like you mentioned earlier about being bold and brave to speak from the uh... you know not just from the pulpit but from or ambo rather but from ev- anywhere being able to stand up for the church, sometimes that could invite, and it often does, um, potential conflicts, which in turn could uh, invite potential false accus accusations. Whether or not that's a uh, true, or it happens often, that some that might be something that uh, occurs in the mind of priests. Like say, for example, I'm um, active duty in the United States Air Force. And there is a very strict policy against uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment, as well there should. But usually, what ends up happening, or at least uh, anecdotally, uh, what ends up happening is that a man will be accused by a woman, and that man is automatically assumed guilty. So therefore, men in general will try to disassociate themselves with their female counterparts, and which creates for a very tense um, workspace and potentially uh, affect teamwork. Well, that's not the ideal. Sure. That's not what we were going for either with that policy. But now it seems like, oh, well, I'm a guy. I'm going to lose if, if she says anything. If I say, right. If I say the wrong thing, look at her the wrong way, even though it wasn't intended that way, that could be the result. So I'm just not going to be around it.
0: No, that—that's what I said earlier. When it—when it has created just kind of a, a general sense of fear uh, in the priesthood, and—and and really, we're—we're we're witnessing it in the world too, with—with with the Me Too movement. Um, that mere accusation that someone looked at me the wrong way, someone touched me the wrong way, and they're—they're they're pilloried in the press. They lose their jobs um, simply because an accusation is made—an accusation that has never gone to trial or into investigation that that's the culture that we're living in now where um, accusation is is the only um, level of guilt or level of proof that's needed for guilt Um, and i think that is just a a result quite frankly of of the sex abuse crisis that that in some ways we helped um, spawn that kind of reaction in the public because we were so quick um, to to acquiesce to public pressure that oh okay well if, if there's an accusation then then we must be guilty. Um, no, we I am innocent until proven guilty. At least that's you know certainly in the United States I know certainly here in Canada that's that's a legal principle. I know it's not a legal principle in, in every country, um, but it's certainly a sound one. And we don't judge people merely on on accusation. But it it leads to that kind of of frenzy, um, and even with a, a complete disregard that you know this this happened 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and no one said a word. Um, you know, we we see it, I guess, also in the in the famous case of of Bill Cosby, um, and how that was just um, caught the public attention. And, and whether the man is guilty or not, I mean, the civil the criminal courts are are determining that. Um, but the frenzy that ensued um, over long ago accusations that that if it were someone else for some other crime, we would have no problem saying i'm I'm sorry that like there's a reason why there's a statute of limitations also. Um, you know you only have a certain amount of time before you can prosecute a crime or make an accusation uh, that's going to have effect because we need proper memory, we need Uh, evidence that's readily available. We can't, you know, come to something 40 years later and expect our investigative um, powers to be the same as if the accusation is about something that happened a week ago. But we've kind of thrown all that out um, in this area of sexual relations, I guess. You know, So whether it's harassment of women, which of course is wrong and shouldn't take place and not in the workplace or in the military or in the priesthood, whatever. But if we notice, if we study it culturally, it's about sexuality that, that's taking place. So we're, we have this kind of paradox that we're living in a society that is promoting free sexuality and sexual licentiousness, and yet we come down hard um, with kind of arbitrarily imposed rules and rules that are often in place uh, are placed years later in in hindsight um, and and so i I don't know what to make of all that but it, it it's certainly confusing and not easily not easily disentangled i guess
1: right absolutely now father we just have a little bit of time left in the show if you had one thing to say to our listeners as a takeaway uh, what would that be? Um, a, a couple things. I think one,
0: just in general, we need to stop being um, titillated, if you will, by scandal. Uh, by wanting to to see who's been accused of what, whether not just in the priesthood, but um, in the in the press and entertainment world, and we we love to see you know who's accusing whom of what. We we need to kind of leave that behind and. And firmly work on understanding that someone is innocent until they're proven guilty, um, and secondly, I think we need to love the church um, don't Don't be naive to think that there aren't going to be sins in the church of of whatever kind, um, but Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are there uh, and and we need to be proud of that and to to preach it uh, prudently and wisely, of course. Uh, but love the Church and spread her message.
1: Thank you so much, Father. Thank you so much. And uh, with that, in the background, that's our musical cue letting us know that we're out of time for this week's episode of Fire Away, brought to you by Catholic Ammo. Many thanks to all who are listening, and special thanks to this episode's guest, Father Stewart. Thank you so much, Father, for your time, and I hope you'll join us again. On episode 24, we covered a lot in a short time. And for a complimentary and supplementary look at today's topic, please check out Father Stuart McDonald's article in the The Stonewalls blog titled, Last Rights: Canon Law in a Mirror of Justice Cracked. But before we finish, uh, let's bow our heads in a closing prayer. Father, if you could please.
0: Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the graces we have received in our lives. Help us to be faithful to the gospel, to love you, and to love our neighbor, and to work for the true good of the church in our world. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. And so for more thought-provoking, soul-enriching content, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under at Again, that's at Catholic Ammo. And be sure to check out more Fire Away at WCATRadio.com forward slash Fire Away. Also, if you haven't already done so, please check out WCAT Radio's Facebook page and give us a like there. This is your host, Carlos Bersabe. Until next Friday, where we'll pick up another topic of the new evangelization. Keep mission focused and stay locked, loaded, and ready. Fun storming
0: the castle.
1: Think it alike. It would take a very Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on
0: WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafut. Good day.